Welcome to the podcast Hive Time, where we talk all things business regarding the honeybee with the occasional entrepreneurial adventure. My name is Mike James, and I'm going to be your host here at Hive Time. And as a seasoned entrepreneur myself, I've had some businesses take off and some not so much. So we are going to talk about some of those experiences as well as my latest venture, Hyperhive, which is an insulated beehive company that has incorporated smart sensors into the hive. And we'll talk a little bit about that from time to time, as well as a beekeeping business called Kinney Bees, where we host beehives at homes, farms, and businesses. Today, who we had on was uh, Erica Shelley. Uh, she is the CEO and founder of Best for Bees, as well as a product called Protect a Bee. Um, I had some audio issues recording this, uh, kind of, I guess, maybe some of the stumbles here coming out of the gates as a podcaster. Um, and I'm not sure why, but uh, I tried to clean up as best I could, so hopefully it's not super annoying. Interview lasts about an hour. Um, but it sounds like we have some internet connectivity issues, but we never dropped out, just sound a bit like a robot from time to time. So uh, with that said, let's get into it, and I uh, hope you enjoy it. And as always, please hit that subscribe button. So who I have on with me now is Dr. Erica Shelley. Uh, she's CEO and founder of Best for Bees, <laughs> uh, and also the inventor of the Protecta Bee. Um, thanks for uh, coming on and uh, actually this is our first hosted um, podcast so congratulations on being the number one. Oh wow uh, I like being number one. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to just uh, talk about uh, your background how you got into bees uh, what gets you excited about bees and then kind of describe what best for bees uh, does and then uh, we could talk about the product uh, protect a bee. For sure. So, um, so I've been a beekeeper for over 10 years and uh, I got into beekeeping, I think the way that a lot of people get into beekeeping and in that I had planned on having two backyard hives and I was just going to have coffee and watch my bees and get honey. And it always uh, starts, doesn't it? <laughs> I think everyone has that exact same story. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a cute little hobby. Uh, my background is I am a, I'm a scientist, so I have my uh, PhD in molecular medical genetics. I had done fungal research. Uh, so, um, you know, that, that was sort of my background. And, and of course, you know, as science starts to permeate all parts of our lives when you're, especially when you're a scientist, but I think anybody who has like an inquisitive mind, um, when I got into it, I, I started realizing it was, there was a lot more to it than just, you know, putting bees in a box and watching them with my, my tea and, and grabbing some honey. Um, so, so yeah, so I started, um, I just I started on that path and uh, I actually started going to conferences and I really just got into the biology of bees and the health of bees. Um, I used to be into um, regressing bees to smaller sizes to make them healthier. Like I went I went through like many phases of, of beekeeping. Well, can, you, yeah, can you explain that? Um, so you were shrinking intentionally the size of the hives? Yeah. So this, okay. So now we're going back some time, right? So um, I, I would say, so it's probably like uh, 12, 13 years ago, maybe even more. Um, the idea was that if, if bees were smaller, 
Um, so, so bees that are closer to the equator are a smaller bee. And then as you get further from the equator, even though they're honeybees, even honeybees, they, they just tend to get bigger. And so if you have bigger bees, you have, you only have so much space in a hive. So bigger bees take up more space. So you don't have as many bees to, to do the hygienic activities, to do the foraging. And, uh, and even as they get bigger, they might not be able to fit into certain flowers. And, uh, and so the, the standard size that is used uh, for, for our, our comb, if you get, you know, pressed foundation or, or uh, plastic foundation, whatever, whatever you get, that size was, was decided based on a flower in England that would be optimal for, for uh, honeybees to, to pollinate. And so the bees actually ended up being bigger than they would be um, naturally right because we we basically they yeah. they fill out the size of the cell so so whatever size cell you give them they they get bigger so um so what we would do is is we would um as as you have more brood inside a cell it leaves behind a casing so naturally the cells get smaller and smaller so you do get smaller bees but it takes a long time and if you're changing out your if you're changing out your comb regularly like they're not going to not going to get a lot smaller um and i'm not i'm not pushing this at all i just want to say that this is just something well no i find it very interesting yeah i mean no absolutely um you know i've, I've read a couple uh discussions on um i don't know if you've used plastic frame foundation but there's a conversation around what's that exact size and it, it doesn't really seem like science has really landed on the exact size and, and they're tiny you know fractional differences right yeah. Um, some people have some strong opinions about the size of that foundation. And so it's, I've, I've never dug into it. So it was interesting to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just, that was, that was sort of how that, you know, I kind of came into beekeeping measure and already I was like measuring my cells across. So, you know, the goal was to get them down to like 4.9 millimeters. Right. And uh, so 49 millimeters for 10, like we, so the science just started right away. Right. Like it was just, just this, this whole process and uh, thinking about different ways of, of keeping bees healthy. And I will tell you that when I started beekeeping, it was way easier like like my hives would survive every winter and uh, and mites were not as big of an issue um you know it was it was easier it even was just so 10 years ago yeah yeah like i i've seen a huge change with even our our seasoned commercial beekeepers who say the same thing like it's just gotten harder uh and it might be where we're located like maybe with climate like you know with the climate changing um you know we we've had some weird weather where we'll get you know things like like hives coated in ice right that was really hard we had a right. year where everything was just coated in ice and, and then you're you're in the kind of toronto area was it yeah, so I'm I'm in southwestern Ontario, so definitely not Toronto area in the sense of okay. Toronto is like a huge mega city. You travel outside of Toronto and uh, about an hour away, and I'm in a, a area called Kitchener Waterloo, and I'm about thirty minutes from the University of Guelph. Um, so you know, uh, Guelph has you know it's actually one of I think 
if not like the biggest uh, honeybee research in North America. And uh, yeah, so that's sort of sort of where all those connections are. So we always give people Toronto as the landmark because people know where Toronto is on a a map. But but we're we're a little farther away. We got a little more farm country around us and and a little less traffic, which is nice. Well, you must experience quite the swing between winter and summer. I mean, I'm in Wisconsin. We will say it gets almost minus 40 and F in the winter uh, and 100 F in the summertime, you know, so... um, that's a huge swing. Yeah. And we're the same too. Sometimes people will be like, oh, you're, you don't get hot where you are because you're in Canada. And I'm like, well, actually right. we're farther South. I'm probably farther South than where you are, Mike, like in terms yeah, of, I think you actually are a little bit. Down. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, yep. um, so yeah, we, we, we get, but we get the lake effects of the snow, right? So we, it gets super duper cold. We definitely get, um, really, really cold. I, I'm going to, I'm just going to, this is awful. I actually grew up in the States, but I grew up in Arizona. So I don't know what, I don't know what minus 40 F would be in, in Celsius. <laughs> actually yeah. minus 40. Is it minus? That's the crossover. It is. Crossover. It is. I knew they yeah. did. And I'm like, That's where's the, the crossover? crossover. Yeah, so, it's minus 40. So we never, we get with wind chill minus 40, but I don't think we ever get like just straight out minus 40. Yeah. I mean, um, we will Northern Wisconsin every now and again, or Northern Minnesota will hit minus 40. Uh, in fact, I think just a couple of weeks ago, it was minus 40. The coldest I've ever experienced is in the minus 30s. Um, okay. And just recently it was minus 20. Um and it's not fun outside when it's that cold. No, <laughs> and I can't imagine no. what those poor bees have to be just like a jigsaw trying to stay warm. I stay warm. You know, like I, jigsaw have, puzzle. I have one of those flur guns, um, like a really nice one. And I've I've actually gone out when it's really cold. And it's amazing how much heat there's they put off, right? They and um and they've done measurements and they stay they, you know, I'm 37 degrees um Celsius. So I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. 70 something, I think. <laughs> Anyways, like that's what they are <laughs> in the middle like of it. Calculator. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyways, yeah. So they 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 stay. Like it's amazing how warm they stay. And a lot of people are are they think the issue we have in these colder climates has to deal with the cold, but but it really comes down to you know having enough bees going into winter and the moisture. The moisture is the biggie. So getting cold right. and wet. Uh, is what kills the bees, not the cold. I've been through the coldest winters yeah. I've had here. I've had the most success with my bees getting through. So it's not the cold, but the the mixture of that moisture, coolness, how strong the hive is, what your varroa mite counts are going into winter, like all of that plays a big role. Yeah, it certainly is a compounding effect. I mean, and that's, you know, I like to describe it as beekeeping isn't like a when you run into problems, it's almost never a linear problem. And I think that a lot of times um, conversations get steered based in a linear um, situation versus a dynamic one. And um, so, you know, it, it's like you were talking about like getting cold or wet, you know, if they're in a atmosphere where they're wet, it actually, and it sticks to the outside walls, it actually could benefit them to some degree. But it all depends, right? That's the magic saying. It depends. Yeah, yeah. And I switched over to using quilt boxes a couple of years ago to help absorb moisture. And that that actually was helpful, too. So, um, you know, we kind of all come up with these different ways. I know you were talking right. about your um, 
your was it hyper high hyper hive yeah hyper yeah. yep hyper hive how like you're going to be able to measure all of this stuff inside a hive i'm right. I, we we use little chips to measure some stuff but like I, we were talking about it gets propolized it'll get dead bees on it like it's not optimal right. so so having right. like a way to actually measure that stuff inside a hive is going to gonna be fantastic yeah right and the magic with the hyperhive is is it's a insulated sealed hive it's really built um to almost to, to replicate a bit of today's um construction you want it sealed nice and tight um and and try to mimic the, the at least the insulation properties that they would experience in like a tree where there's no ventilation yeah um and so that once again, it's it depends. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, here at the University of Guelph, um, in the winter, they actually just saran wrap up the hives and put them in a building, <laughs> right? And then it's like pressure, <laughs> like temperature control. Being like, I don't do that. Okay. I don't have space to do that, and it's a lot of work. But but it's basically, you know, kind of what they're doing is sticking it in a building and and then you know wrapping them with saran wraps. So. <laughs> and then they just. I don't know if it's actually saran wrap. I'll just say that might be something special. <laughs> I just know they're wrapped. <laughs> we'll just call them specially wrapped. Specially wrapped, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Um, so, you know, you're, you mentioned kind of some of your personal experience. Um, and then when we were talking a couple of days ago, but we've been kind of ready for this, um, you were talking about you do a lot of research or have done some research uh, with Best for Bees, um, kind of some specialty research that kind of led you down a path um, to, to where protect the bee. Right, yeah, so, right. so I feel like I kind of cut myself off saying about what I uh, <laughs> did way back when. So, so yeah, once once I started really learning about bees, um, I, I've, you know, taught classes, I've, I've taught thousands of people's beekeeping over the years. And, and, uh, and I regret some of my choices in te what I taught beekeeping, because I started teaching beekeeping before I was really a seasoned beekeeper. And, and, th and that's the irony is oftentimes seasoned beekeepers are not teaching beekeeping courses. It's usually people who are a little bit newer, because once you become a seasoned beekeeper, you're just busy beekeeping. And, uh, and so anyways, I became known as sort of the bee lady and, uh, and companies would have me keep hives um, at their, their locations, oftentimes rooftop locations so that we could educate their, um, their employees about, you know, bee health, pollinator health, pollinator habitat. Um, so sort of the green initiatives having to do with those companies. And then it just, it, again, we were talking about um, sort of how things organically just happen. Then, um, you know, different um, industries started reaching out to me to start um, doing tests uh, with bees. And so um, at that point, we, we switched into huge science gears and um, started working with um you know, computer programs that allowed us to take pictures and, and, you know, weighing our bees. We were talking about your hyperhive having the scale in there, like weighing hives is not easy. So I was like, oh, that would be really useful for my research that I do all the time. And, um, you know, we so, really uh, got... Uh, so how, like what, what transitioned from you guys going from you're being asked to research some of these things to, to start implementing some of the electronics. I mean, was that something that you guys were like, Hey, we need to have like hard data versus observation. Absolutely. So when we started, 
so so here's something that's interesting is we I'm covered under so many NDAs with all the different companies that I work with that I actually can't even tell you oftentimes the very specifics of, of why we started doing different things. But what I will tell okay. you is that for the different studies that we do for different companies, um, they we need to have certain pieces of information. And sometimes those pieces of information are having to do with the actual hive health, right? So hive health has lots of metrics. And so, you know, the obvious ones are, you know, how many bees are in there, how much brood, how much pollen, how much honey, um, you know, what are, what are our um, pest and disease levels? And, uh, and then, and then sometimes it gets a little more complicated. So we're, we're measuring maybe gases or, or the presence of different things. So then we're using, um, you know, media where we look at, at bacteria or we have kill assays or we're using uh, PCR. Like it's, it's, uh, you know, it became it. And I was already, that's the stuff I'd already been doing. So, so it was really nice to um, be able to bridge those two worlds of, of honeybee biology and microbiology and um, the science side of things. So, um, and then, and then, you know, we do, we do traffic studies. So we'll actually mark bees and determine how far they go from a hive and where they go from a hive. Like this is some things that we do for, for companies as well. So were you guys, I mean, how were you? So one of the things that I've actually looked at was, you know, this podcast is not only just about bees, right? It's about the business aspect of it. So um, I often think, you know, as entrepreneurs do, you know, you've got kind of what's on your plate right now in regards to your product services. And um, I think most entrepreneurs are like, what is my service three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, you know, where is it going? You know, cause you gotta be thinking like that. Right. Absolutely, and one, yeah. Right. And one of the things that had that, that might seem science fiction, but one of the thoughts I had had was a, a small chips that ultimately could go on bees. Cause I read a, I read a study where they actually were doing this. And so I'm well, the little backpacks, you... the backpacks they put right. on the bees, right? Yes, yeah. I, yes. I think Harvard, Harvard was doing that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I was yeah. like, it would be interesting to have technology in the hive that you could ultimately ship out a bag of these little chips, put them on the bee and the bees take off. And then you get some kind of data over a week and you have an idea of where your bees are traveling. Um, so how did you guys track the bees? Well, um, again, that's no, that's no, that's no easy, easy no, thing to do. I mean, and, Tom Seeley, I think, perfected it without any oh, technology. Yeah, the the tracking of the right. the, the line, the bee line. Um, so for us, um, again, uh, this is um, part of what our company does. It's a, a specific service that we offer, and so um, we don't actually want to give away too much of what we do because that's that's what makes us unique and we're talking about entrepreneurs if you know you've right. got you've got your your thing that you do um right. so and and also you know it for the customers that we have helped if we just give out that information because they're they're oftentimes and competitive with other companies as well so, totally understand so i won't i won't talk about specifically what, what we've done but i will say that okay. that we do not have little backpacks on our bees which would be <laughs> fantastic and make things but actually 
because honeybees are so many in there. It's, it's actually, it's, it's actually difficult. And I say we talk, we were talking about honeybees, but we work with bumblebees too. And, uh, and, and do some of those tracking studies with them as well. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it, it is interesting to kind of see how they go. Now, Mike, I'm going to come back to this entrepreneur thing. Um, so I did not want to do all the stuff I'm doing now. That's how it always works. That's how it always so works. It's how it works. I like, I, I, I wanted to have tea with my bees and have some honey. And, uh, and then like for the longest time I had no honey because I was giving out honey to people who's, these um, hives were struggling, like, like all the things that I imagine happening as a beekeeper was not how it happened. And, and I always say my life has been like, like, you know, going tubing on a river that's curvy. Like, like I, I know I like tubing and, and I like rivers, but I don't really, you know, I don't know what's coming you know what's up next. around the next bend. I yeah. don't know what's right. around the next right. corner, but you know what? I've been staying in that tube no matter what and seeing what's coming around. So so each one of these steps has been uh, uh, not a planned entrepreneur. Like, it's not like I, I drew out this business plan and I said, in this amount of years, I want to do be doing <laughs> these things for these companies. I didn't even know these were services that could be offered, right? Like, and I'm not even sure these companies knew they were services that could be offered. They would ask me and then I would, I would basically strategize, okay, this is how we can answer those questions that you have, or this is how we can optimize you know, production of X, Y, and Z in your, your situation. And, and that, that was just my skill set. So, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about, about this product that I have, but um, going from being a consultation um, service to somebody who's actually producing a product was never, ever, ever in my cards. Like I, I don't like selling anything to anyone. I'm just like, you know, what? if if you want to buy it, that's great. But I'm not going to convince you to buy it. Like this is, you know, that that's not my personality. So well, they, they come in yeah. all sorts. And it sounds like salesman entrepreneur, you're the builder. I am the builder. I'm a creator. I love problem solving. I I've, I've been inventing things my whole life. My whole life, like since I was young, if if something needed to be fixed um, or needed to be better, I was the person who who always did that. And if there was a problem to be solved, I I am very tenacious in solving that problem. Like I will I will figure out how how to get the answer that we need. So my, I have business mentors now. I, I was with a, a accelerator center here in uh, Waterloo. And, um, and so I have like all these business mentors and, and so one for of the, the people that don't really know what an accelerator is. Um, you want to touch on that? Oh, sure. So, um, and I imagine they're different, different um, in different places. So incubate, incubator, accelerator, these are terms that are used um, for, uh, basically a, a centralized place that companies can go to um, to get all the mentorship that and 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 documents and resources that they would need in order to start a company so so there's so many pieces that that come uh, with a company so for example like Mike, you've you've made your hyperhive. I've got my protectivity. So the first step is is you have to figure out you know how to patent things, and then you're dealing with lawyers after lawyers, and you have to start signing 
all these contracts and these non-disclosure agreements. And that's just like the tip, 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 tip of the iceberg. And then all of a sudden you're into, you know, human resources, you're into engineering, um, you're into dealing with production. And kind of helps guide you through that process. All um, these mentors that, that show you how to do it. And, and so the idea of accelerator is if I had, if I had not gone to the accelerator center, I probably would have been sitting on this idea for 10 years before I would have pushed it. But my, my mentors, they, they, they push me and they're like, get it out, do these things, you know, and before you're, cause I, I, I am like an, more of an academic, so I'm not as um, always ready to just burst out without having like everything in all my ducks in a row as it were. Uh, and they, they pushed me out of my comfort zone and they, and they also, you know, put me in front of investors. So people that will invest in the company and they teach me how to do pitches and how to do business plans and financial forecasts and, um, you know, on and on and on. So, so it's, it's, it's really amazing. And, um, my, one of my clients, uh, so I had, I have private, I've had private clients over the years too, that I would keep these, uh, with, I call it, we, we do like beekeeping together. Um, he's, he's called me the reluctant entrepreneur because I, <laughs> being great, like, no, I don't phrase. want to do this. I don't want to do this. That's, that's it. I'm the reluctant entrepreneur. And, and, uh, and so the, the learning curve has been steep, but amazing. Like I just know so much about so many things I didn't know before. And, and I love it because I just love learning anyways. So this has pushed me way, way out of my comfort zone because I'm a scientist beekeeper. And now, you know, I, I know about financial forecasts and I know about pitches and I know about, you know, all the human resources and all the insurances I need to get and how to do payroll. And, you know, right. I, I mean, we, I had a come, I should say, I already was doing some of that stuff with my other company, but now this is like just a, it's a different bigger. level. Yeah. Right. Right. So at what, at what point did protect be start to formulate in your mind? Well, so again, as I, I mentioned, we work for, we have clients. And so uh, we had um, a Dr. Peter Kevin. He is a professor emeritus at the University of Guelph, and he is legendary. Uh, he's got two bees named after him because people chose to name those bees after him, right? Like that's, they're like, I've discovered a bee. Who should I name it after? And and then they, they name it the after Students him. say you. <laughs> yeah. And they weren't even students. They're just people, I think, um, in Mexico that he's done work with. Like, he's just very inspirational. And he had this idea of, of apovectoring, which is using bees to carry powders out to uh, flowers to protect them against pests and diseases. He had that idea 30 years ago. So this is not a new idea. Um, that. It's and that's just, called B vectoring, correct? B, B vectoring. So APA vectoring, APA, you know, for APAs. Yeah, um, yeah. So B vectoring is kind of our, you know, making it easy for people to, <laughs> to, to remember, understand yeah. and get it. And, uh, and so he, he actually will not use the term B vectoring. Like it, it's it, like scientists. <laughs> Rightfully like so, right? Rightfully so. Yes. <laughs> right, right. That, yeah, that's so, the marketing spin. Yeah, it is the marketing spin. And so he um, he started that 30 years ago. And then he worked with a company 
he developed um, a, basically a bumblebee bee vectoring system to protect crops uh, using a fungus that would grow on, on the flowers. And then it, it basically competes against any other fungi that are on there. And then it also grows on the, 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 the there's beetles um, and mites that, that are on these plants and the fungus actually can grow on the outside of them. And then, um, and then they, they become hosts. So it, it breaks into the into the host using both enzymes and mechanical methods to go in and, and then replicate and then just spread more, right? And and when I say spread, it like bursts the the host open like in a very oh video game so is it style. Like spores of some sort. Yep, there's spores. There's spores. It's like poof. Okay. And uh, yeah, so so they started using that out to crops. And Peter, uh, Dr. Kevin's idea was that. Um, maybe this could be used for varroa mites inside of beehives. And so that's when he brought us on and, uh, to do those studies. So um, he knew I'd worked with fungi in the past and, and that I had, I'm a practical beekeeper as well. So I, you know, I have a unique spin on this from most academics in that, um, you know, I was, I was practical beekeeping for a long time. I know what beekeepers like. Um, I know, I know what you need to do in terms of keeping bees healthy from a practical beekeeping standpoint. So, right. um, and then I had the fun, the, 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 fung, the fungus background, uh, which is very unique. And then also the, the research side of looking at the health of a hive. So yeah, so he brought us in to do this project. He had these um, trays. I only laugh because we wrote a grant for two years based on this thing that I assumed it was gonna work. And it was this, like the size of, a, of your bottom board and you would put this yeah. piece of plexiglass on top of your bottom board and it had little ramps for the bees to go up. And, and then the idea was the powder would go on the, the bottom and then when they would come in, they would go up those ramps and go through the powder. And then on the second level of that, because it would be two levels was where they would take yeah. off. So they would skip the bottom and they would take off from the top. And, uh, and so we put those on, on the highs, which actually was kind of a pain. And, and now you had like a double opening too, right? So it was like extra big opening and, uh, it, it. Oh, to accommodate the ramp height? To accommodate the ramp. So you basically have two levels, right? So then the box would go and I, and I should say there was a lip around the second edge so that it was basically a, a two bottom boards, if you will, kind of stacked on each other, if you think of it like that, but with ramps. Yeah. And uh, it did not work at all, at all. <laughs> bees just not want to go through no, the powder? No, they, or... they would move the powder right out of the hive. They would avoid oh, the powder. bees normally do, right? You put the anything bees, in they, there, they drag they, it right they, out of there. And, and I will tell you, um, me and my research assistants, we were like coloring flowers to like see if they would might like go towards one side versus the other like we were we were just not like because this was what our grant was for this particular prototype and i i swear i was probably pretty close to crying when i realized that we were not going to be able to do two years of studies with this 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 ramp thing and, and, coax, and coax, trying to coax the bees through the powder. And I, tr we tried, <laughs> trust me, we tried. <laughs> and, and, you know, so at some point that switch flipped in my head. It's like, okay, you, you've got to reinvent this, like this, 
this this and completely reinvent it like this is not gonna work at all and uh so um i kind of uh I actually reached out on Facebook to some beekeeping hack groups, you know, like I, I, this was, you know, kind of crowdsourcing in terms of coming up with ideas of how I could solve my problem. Like it wasn't an idea of like inventing a thing is like, I need to do my bee vectoring um, experiments. What, what can I make to, to do that? And so, you know, we were starting to talk about funnels and we already were doing our, our, um, we call it outspensing and inspensing. So outspensing is where the, the, the powders are going out to crops and spencing is where the powders are going into the beehive. And, and those are different compounds, correct? Uh, they can actually be the same compounds, but in this case, okay. um, the one that typically is sent out is um, Clonostachys rosea. That's, that's the one that um, I think it's CR. There's a number after it that, that bee vectoring technologies in Mississauga uses. And they're the, okay. they're the only ones um, that I think and I might be I might be speaking out of turn, but I think they might be the only ones that have um, basically it's patented. And so they're the only ones that can use that in the United States and maybe in Europe or it's going through approval in Europe. Um, anyways, for treating and so I think strawberries and like more berry uh, crops, but I think they're doing other crops now as well. I haven't kept up on all the all the, the crops that they're they're um, protecting now. But the end spencing, what was that? So like through kind of these studies, I, honestly, until the other day, I'd never heard of bee vectoring. So I'll just be honest there. Um, like what kind of efficacy is there in the bees distributing the powder once they're able to willingly walk through the powder? <laughs> Yeah, so so for the for the outspensing, I think the data I have I think the data is is really strong. So they they basically it's like time intervals. So the bees walk through a chamber and then the powder is dropped on them as they walk through it. Um, and okay. so that's over time. And so you can instead of a farmer going out and treating their field once with a a, a fungicide or a pesticide. This can be, you know, done day after day after day. And the, the bees are really efficient in their travels. Like they go from one flower to another flower to right. another flower. So it's actually um, the efficacy, I, I think, is is quite high with um, with that that outspensing. Um, and I did work a little bit on an outspensing project as well, but but not enough that I, I feel like I'm an expert in and saying this is um, right. super, super effective or anything like that. But right. but it definitely is effective. Now, in terms of our bringing powders into the hive, we so and this is jumping ahead, but we were super effective. Um, basically, every single cell that we tested would have a powder in it. Like that, that's wow. how effective that's very we were cool. at getting that. And it would, we would put a powder in and it would take about six hours or so for them to empty out the, the tray. And, uh, and then Which when seems we would, very fast to me, to be, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, so we have a, when I talk about the powders, so the powder is in what we call a diluent. So the diluent is made so that it sticks to bees so it, okay. it very easily sticks to them. It's not too small that it causes any danger for their breathing because they actually breathe through, you know, the outside of their uh, the spiracles. And um, so it's it's um, 
it sticks to them, but not too long, right? So when it comes in contact right. with another surface, it'll drop off. So it was important to get that that done. And that was done long before we were on on scene, right? That was part of the the other part as well. So that dilia is is food based. It's you know bee friendly. No nothing nothing that anybody would be concerned about. Um, and then you would mix in whatever protectant um, you're going to use with that powder. And so for our first studies, we actually used fluorescent microbeads so that we could track it. And that allowed us to, you know, easily see that it was getting into I was going to ask if you had used um, a technique similar to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at what, what point did the actual device um, kind of propagate in your mind uh, to kind of help solve the problems that those ramps were um, the ramps did not <laughs> right <laughs> uh so so i i knew i knew i needed to i had i had several goals one i needed to separate the in from the out traffic that was goal number one number two i had to outsmart the bees so they couldn't carry the powders out um, if you, you know, if you've been in beekeeping for any amount of time, so I, I used to do cutouts all the time where I'd remove hives from, uh, structures and, and you, you know, you would use string to, to tie in the, the comb and always within 24, 48 hours or, or so, um, those strings would be dragged out. Like these super long strings yeah. were dragged out yeah. by the bees. They're like, these, these don't belong in the hive. And the bees are like right. that. If, if they don't feel like something belongs in the hive, they're going to move it out. And so we wanted to um, outsmart the bees so they couldn't do that. So I was like, okay, it has to be hard for the bees to, to drag something out. Um, but um, they'll, they'll carry it in. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we were talking about those funnels and then, and then I have, of course I had the aha moment at three in the morning, woke up out of my sleep and I knew it had to be the cones with these separate chambers and, uh, and, and we have drawers now, but we actually didn't have drawers in the beginning. So it's these alternating cones so that the, and that's um, the little black part on the bottom, the drawer. Yeah, so let me, I'm just going to hold up the cones here. I know we're on a yeah, podcast, can, but right. it'll give you um, an idea. So, so I actually have on here, I don't know if you can see, there's like out. They, they kind in. of remind me of those traffic cones. Yeah, that's what they look like. If you were to happy. glue the bases together, right? Yeah, yeah. Just for the people and, that can't see. Yeah, so they, they are like little, little traffic cones and there's four of them on a base and so um the bees won't go in the skinny part of the cone uh, most of the time they they can but we actually the part of it is getting the right distance and the right, right diameter and the right texture to keep them from going in uh, what we call the outdoor and then the wide base of the of the cone is uh, where they would go in and and just like traffic cones these are um well not just like these are red and we chose red because um, bees actually don't see the color red. It's um, they're not within their their um, spectrum, right? So um, they it's not that it's invisible. So I always said it's not like they can't see it at all, but but they don't see it as the color red, and it's a kind of a, a murky color, not something that they're going to be drawn to. And so what then they see for that that bigger opening part is they see that that's like a different color and that's where they would go in. So it keeps them from trying to go in through the outdoor and uh, going in there. One of the things 
and and um we didn't actually think of at the time was also other predators can't see the color red so um it you know makes it a little difficult for you know wasps and hornets and and other things that don't see the color red to even figure out where that the opening is and uh, and then the bees so it's not just the the color so the bees will orient to the the protective bee um both like in their typical orienting where they do their figure eights and they know where things are on their hive but also there's uh when we first put it on there'll be some fanning behavior to say hey this is where you're gonna go in as well as um you know the sort of the scent trails that like things that are left behind the bees you know just it becomes known to them um that as well so it, you know it even if they're not seeing the color great they figure it out um we usually put it on in the morning before the bees have done their first uh first flights um okay. first orientation flights but um you can put it in the middle of the day you just get a lot of clumping it takes longer for them to figure it out um and, okay. you know i just feel bad for the bees then so we always put it on <laughs> earlier or later if we can sometimes we forget uh, we're, what depends and you have or, a nice video on your indiegogo page um not to try to get ahead of us ourselves no, no, here, but that the resources that you had on there were actually really nice um video which is this i think it was this top one i was watching it really what was the best day of your life got some sound on it mm -hmm. could you hear the sound i i heard it yeah okay let's i guess maybe we can play it i'm gonna get some weird echo because it's coming from my computer easy <laughs> these girls flew into it people call it beekeeping i like to call it Bee parenting. Hi, I'm Ted Honey, father to thousands of bees. Bee parents like me want nothing but the best for our bees. That's why all my hives have protected bee, the adjustable hive entrance that keeps all my babies. And those are those little cones that we we're talking about. Before, we have right? problems with all kinds of critters wanting to eat the bees and their honey. We're talking wasps, hornets, yellow jackets, bees from other colonies, mice. Even skunks, but with a protective bee, my girls are safe from robbing. That's that's that really shows them going in and out of there nicely. The in this video. To maximize bee movement while providing a physical barrier for predators. It may be keeping easy, simple to install, and with the different inserts, it offers so much flexibility throughout the beekeeping season. The bee can decrease outgoing traffic when it's time for mowing or weed whacking. During winter months, protective bees entrance reducer can cut down on cold air getting into the hive. Solid inserts can be used to temporarily close the hive, protect from pesticides, or when you want to move your hive. The inserts can also be removed, great for times when you just want maximum bee traffic. <laughs> this is from their first day. They got the ins and the outs down pat. It's been a real game changer for me. And I'm not the only one that protects the system can help. Hobby, small scale, and commercial beekeepers can all benefit from protected bee. They've taken to it really well. It didn't take more than half an hour to figure it out. It's quite easy to install. It's quick it's easy it installs within seconds right off the top i thought this makes just excellent it's so adaptable i really am excited about all the applications it can make it a lot easier especially for beginner beekeepers commercial beekeepers going to pollination bringing their bees back healthy instead of exhausted and tired and sick that that changed the industry i think your product is <laughs> Sad truth is, up to 50% of beehives die every single year. 
Best for Bees founder created this product, the goal of changing that, helping bees and beekeepers. Hi, I'm Dr. Erica Shelley, founder of Best for Bees. We have been working off right there. We got you live. Yeah, that's. I think. I mean, the video is great, right? Um, and I mean, were those alpha or beta testers that you guys were interviewing? Um, so, so in those, in that case, those were our beta testers. So we, okay. first year was more, you know, we just had a few people, um, and we were right. looking at the B vectoring. These people, it went out to blindly. So we didn't give them much information oh, cool. ahead of time and, um, just, kind of we wanted to see what they would do and uh and what their take on it was uh we had invented it for b vectoring and and so um one of the things that really surprised us was when we went to go pick up our 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 protectives like they had a survey like an online survey to fill out and then we did like a video interview and and that was part of our grant. So at this point, at no point were we at, at when we were doing these, we're planning on like having them be customer testimonials for selling right. it. And so so everything that you hear in those things, those are they weren't. We didn't know that they were that we were going to do that that portion of it. So it is it's so genuine, like the things that they're saying. Um, and uh, anyway, so when we went back, they they wanted to keep the protectives. And I only had. Did you so, let them? No, I only had so many of them, and I wanted to have other people test them too, right? And and have them on right. our research apiaries, like so. Um, and I was like, "Why do you want them?" I'm like, "That we don't even have these powders yet." And and that we were we were in um, you know the end of our beekeeping season here, so August September, and um, and they're like, "We we have a lot of wasp issues at that time of year, so even our strong hives get hit." and urban areas, particularly with wasps and hornets. Um, and so they were like, well, we had all these issues, but they're gone now. And I was like, I'm like, did you leave the cones on all the time? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we had them on like all, all the time. Because nice. I, like, uh, I gave them the different, we had, you know, different inserts <clears throat> later on that they could put on. But, um, and then like we had one guy who had this huge skunk problem in his yard and he could, he could see where the skunks were scratching. So he had like all these spikes and, uh, and he had like a little camera set up and, uh, and he was, he was like, is like I don't actually see the this like this the skunk is avoiding this hive with this coming out. Interesting. So I guess they they weren't able to do their normal tapping that they would do to to get the bees okay. to come out because that's how it usually works is they'll tap and then the bees then come out one at a time and they eat them. <laughs> yeah. So okay. um, we we yeah. refer to those as spicy raisins when our dogs eat them. Yeah. Yeah. We call them flying jalapenos. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> like, all of those, right? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, my right. dog too. So, so yeah. See so your dog just totally living the life back there on your bed. Oh my god, I know. She's just like... rolling around. <laughs> life is rough. Like, I got yeah, it she... made. <laughs> oh man. So yeah. So that was that was crazy and then they started giving us ideas about the other inserts um especially it was our commercial beekeepers actually who who had the really great ideas of adding the entrance reducers and adding the solid side so that we could do feed on um one side uh like as emergency um like it's it's really easy and 
now I put this on this winter. I say this, I have, you know, um, 16 hives right now that they're on. And um, the, the coolest thing is like coolest, literally coolest is like when we get a, like it's cold for a really long spell, I, I can go out and, um, and I, I can open one of the drawers and I'll see a few dead bees in there. And, okay. uh, and so I can actually tell whether hives alive or not during those cold periods without using my, my gun. Um, right. and then, because and it then ultimately I, becomes part of the inside of the hive. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they tend to pile them up on that solid side, which is interesting. And then when we get a warm day, they, they must just bring them through and then take them out. So it's almost like, I don't know, it's like having a little sunroom mm -hmm. or something. <laughs> you just right. store yeah, stuff in. Throwing them out on the porch. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so I can help them like if it's I'll just go and dump some. Um, so and, and I don't do that with all of them, because we're studying what the different ones do. But I've been like, okay, if I right. dump it, how quick till they'll like fill it up again. And right. uh, yeah, so so that's kind of been a another little, little benefit. Um, if you take off the inserts, you have this extra large landing board. And it's covered. So in places um, in Australia, they were telling me that there's like these birds and stuff that'll pick off the the the, the bees the on the landing on the board or the Asian hornets too. And so having that cover, um, you know, makes it a little bit easier as well. So have you noticed a difference in their pattern when they go out to fan? I mean, are they within that housing or are they trying to work themselves around it? So, so here's, this is, this is, this is a bit of a, we're not sure what exactly is happening. We, we expected on hot days that these highs would get extra hot because they weren't able to fan. There's these, these holes and, you know, you can't get all the bees at the front fanning. And, uh, and so we, we measure the hive health. So we know what, we know we have the same number of bees in, in our hives roughly. And, and we actually make sure to, to keep that. We move things around um, just to make sure everything stays even when we're doing our studies. And, um, and the interesting thing is, and I don't recommend this for most beekeepers. So when I say that we do that, it's, it's for the scientific it's side. Disclaimer. This yeah. is a disclaimer. If you have a strong hive, let your strong hive be strong. <laughs> um, so um, what we found is we have less bearding on our hives with the protect bee cones on than, than without. And we we're like, okay, what's going on? So when I say less bearding, it was not no bearding. So when they would beard, I'm just actually going to hold this up here with the, the cones out. So there is some, I mean, I, I'm going to say something. I'm not going to show you the inside of this. We've not shown everything on our Indiegogo that's actually within the protectivity itself. Um, we do know okay. that eventually there's going to be knockoffs that come, but uh, right. we, we, um, we've kept a little bit of our IP secret so that it, you have to buy at least one. At least give you the head start. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, this is upside down. That's why the cones look a little bit different. But but when this comes out, for most landing boards, the, this actually ends up extending beyond the landing board. And so the bees actually come under and they tend to, if they're going to beard, they actually beard on the underside. And, okay. uh, and and that adds a little bit of protection from above as well, right? So it, it is is kind of nice. So, but what we couldn't figure out is we have less bees fanning, and we measure curing rates of our honey. We measure production rates, and we do that's part of our our um, research. 
And so we weren't seeing differences, but they weren't they weren't out there fanning. And so just weren't sure what was happening inside because as soon as you open it, you they just come, right? <laughs> They're not like right. doing whatever they were doing before. Right. And um, so we weren't sure if like, you know, like maybe when you open up like one door on one side of your house and one door on another side, if like you get like more of a cross breeze going, um, we, we're not sure what happened, but they definitely. Well, I wonder if the shading at that front entrance is somehow providing a cooler breeze. A cooler that's going breeze, into like a traditional hive. Yeah, and we just we just don't know what's going on, but there's there's definitely some cooling happening, and we don't understand why. So um, we have um, kind of a fun thing coming in. We've got a, a full a transparent protective bee coming. And, oh, cool. and of course, for the first while, the bees will probably be trying to fly out because it'll be sunny there. Um, yeah. And so I say transparent, we're still going to keep the cones red. And, uh, and, and so that'll, that'll give them a visual cue on, on where to go out. But we're hoping that we can maybe see what's going on. And, and when you're talking about that cooling that goes around, um, if that's the case, we might not see that because... You know, we and might get some kind of that. greenhouse effect. Yeah, yeah, we might get right. that. Um, <laughs> so, are um, you? So, are you guys providing the powders that go in them, or do you have plans to provide powders? That yeah. So the the powders right now, um, the powders that we have tested successfully is um, antibiotics that are used for um, prophylactically. So treating. <laughs> American Excuse foul brood before it happens. So not while you have American foul brood, but before it happens. So we've, we've tested that and we have the same distribution of antibiotic powders in the hive as conventional treatment. So that's ready up to go. Um, most places um, don't necessarily use prophylactic treatment of antibiotics, but we actually do here in Southwestern Ontario. Uh, it's in our soil and, and everything. So it's, it's sort of the norm that it, it, it does get uh, used, of course, in the last couple of years, um, we have to get approval or not approval. You have to get a prescription from a vet to get it, which is, okay. you know, people aren't using it as much as they used to. But um, so that that's ready to go. We've we've tested um, super DFM um, in it as well. And, and we found the same thing that we're able to get the probiotics into the hive. So those those would be things that are already um, we just have to do a, a label change of use, right? Because we're, we're adding our right. powder to it. So it doesn't have to go through any sort of approvals. The fungal powder. So um, Paul Stamitz, I don't know if you're familiar with him. He, he has a, a company, uh, I want to call it Fungi Perfecti, but I'm not sure that's exactly the name of it. He's okay. funded some research at um, Washington State University. Um, I always mix up University of Washington and Washington State University. So hopefully it's Washington State <laughs> University. And they did directed. Well, we can, I can, we can figure that out and put some, something in the show notes. Put a little link. Like. Yeah. Um, they did a, a study where they um, directed evolution of, of one of these uh, fungi uh, ca called metarhyzium, uh, brunium, and um, it, it grows in the conditions inside a beehive. So the humidity levels, the temperature levels, and it actually works against varroa mites. And so you can't just throw that in though. So it has to go through approvals. It has to go through EPA and FDA approvals because we want it 
ideally we can treat with our honey supers on. And, uh, and so fu these fungi are actually been used like metarhysium was already used on crops um, before. So it's not like these haven't been on, on food products and they have what we call zero day harvesting and zero day re-entry, which means they're safe for, for people to use. But every time we, there's something new that comes along, you have to go through this right. costly and long process to get things approved. So okay. those, those are not going to be ready to be used in hives. And then of course, then we'd have to immediately add on. anyways. Yeah, immediately. And we have to add on the, the new use label as well to use it with bee vectoring as opposed to just okay. being put on top of the brood chamber or whatever methods they've submitted um, to, to have it put in. And then we're also doing the same thing on our end. We have some other fungi that we're selecting for growth inside the conditions of the beehive as well. So, so there's going to be multiple options. And, and this is, um, this is the super duper duper cool part, Mike, is this is not like any other mite treatment. So you're taking a living organism to fight a living organism right. and they don't just use one pathway to attack the host. So they use those mechanical pressures where they like grind open into, into their host. And then they also use enzymes. The enzymes eat away at it as well. So we've got two pathways that it's using to get into the host. And so for a Varroa mite to evolve resistance simultaneously to both of those pathways is very, very unlikely. And so well, especially the mechanical, the mechanical, right? Like it's how are they going to how are they going to do right. that? So eventually, maybe they will. Maybe they'll get harder shells or, or whatever. Right. Like like a, an, a, their exo like it might get harder. I don't know. But it, it's really hard. So. Um, now in our varroa mite treatments, the varroa mites become resistance too because they're being used all the time. And, that, and you know, we really try to um, tell people make sure you use one treatment in the spring versus what you use in the fall to avoid that resistance. But but they still evolve resistance to those things because they're a single pathway. So having a fungi um, as this treatment with a very easy delivery system where you literally put the powder, like you don't even have to open your hive. You don't have to, you know, um, you know, when, when you go into a hive, your queen actually quits laying for several days. Um, if you've got small hive beetle, there's these uh, propolis gels that they've set up for the small hive beetle. And when you break apart a hive, you're also breaking apart those propolis gels. You know, you're, you're, moving things around, the bees get agitated, and especially our hobby beekeepers are a little nervous about getting stung. So maybe they don't do the treatments right. they need to be doing. So when you have a drawer that you literally just open, you put in a, a tablespoon of powder and you close it and you've done your work. Right. Um, it, there's sounds no excuse, pretty easy. There's no excuse yeah, for not treating easy. it. So now you've got something right. that's more effective and easier to use and and now we get healthier bees and healthier bees you know it's just fantastic so so, so, so the powders are being able to oh i'm sorry keep going i cut you off oh i was just gonna say so the powders we will eventually sell but we're you know that's that's possibly a year to two years out till we're selling the the fungal powders but we're also working with 
um, thymol dust. We're working with, um, there's other powders again that are already approved um, that, that we're doing experiments with. And, and so our Indiegogo campaign is, is just us um, raising uh, money for this research is very expensive, right? So, so all these different ways that we can uh, bring in money and support and collaboration with beekeepers and makers like yourself, like all these different ideas. Like it's, you know, this is not a, a one man show. This is, you know, we're working with beekeepers across the world and scientists across the world. And, and this is how we're going to solve these problems is not in a lab by ourselves, but by putting it out there and working with everybody to, to solve this, this really big problem. Right. And the best place that they can do to, or go to help support is Indiegogo. Right now, Indiegogo will will eventually okay. have an e-commerce, like a Shopify site coming up um, eventually as well. But the people on Indiegogo are going to get the first protective bees. And, uh, and it looks and like it's going well. It's going really well. We, um, yeah, I was quite surprised. Good job. Doing, <laughs> yeah, we in seven hours, we hit our goal. Um, our initial goal was just basically for the tooling to get the, the product um, start print off. So the fact that we reached that in seven hours was like, was fantastic. Right. And the then, tooling is quite the expense in regards is, to anything plastic. It is. And everybody's like, oh, can you just do an eight frame one? I'm like, I don't have an extra $17,000 yet to right. put towards for my metal version. block. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right, it's it's right. crazy expensive. <laughs> and know. and again, this has been part of that learning process as an entrepreneur. I didn't even know what tooling meant. Uh, and for your <laughs> listeners who don't know what tooling means, um, there's all sorts of I have tools now for my packaging and tools for my injection molding. So we're injection molding with a bee friendly plastic that is UV and weather uh, resistant. A lot of people have asked us why we've gone with plastic. And that's because uh, wood warps and and will right. allow for easy entrance and it won't it won't necessarily uh, fit very well there. But secondly, well, scalability is also a very large and scalability like you can't plastic. you can't make all of those and um, yeah. and because it's this plug and play system, then it's very easy for us to to make um, lots of different inserts, which which we have plans to do. But kicking off it, so a tool like an injection molding is like this this metal piece that you know, is shaped like your, your thing that you're making. And then they put it together, these two halves and they like, they like shoot in the, the plastic and it just, you know, is in the shape of, of this thing. And then they like open it up. Um, and I'm only saying that like, Mike, it's probably really obvious to you, but me as a beekeeper scientist had no, no idea what that even was. Right. So right. I was like, Oh, right. that's what they mean by tools. Cause that doesn't really sound like a tool to me. Right. I think it it's like really a giant metal block that it, it reminds me of the, like a kid's sand toy, you know, where they can fill like a star yeah. with sand, flip it over. There's two halves to it. And then it's in yeah. a, the middle of a giant block of metal. Yeah. Yeah. So just crazy. Um, Right. Yeah. When you said 17th, I was like, God, I've been having 40, 50, 60 grand thrown at me. 
Yeah, well, and so, that's it. Eventually, we want to do an in entire bottom board that is the Protectivity, but that tool, as you know, right now, it's even bigger. Right. It, it costs a lot more. So we, we're just um, right. starting with the one that people can just easily add. It's two screws, and you just add it to your... Um, it works with a 10-frame Langstroth hive and a 7-frame Flow hive, uh, which was exciting for us because um, on Indiegogo, the largest uh, crowdfunding campaign ever was the Flow hive. So to have something that's compatible with that for beekeepers that already are trying to do things a little bit easier, um, yeah. you know, it, it's nice to have that compatibility. So... Um, yeah. So yeah. where do you want people to go? Um, you want to shout out your website, the Indiegogo site? Yeah, well, and um, I mean, our Indiegogo is only live for, here, let me actually. It's what, 14 it or 15 right days more? Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's, it's only, only a couple more weeks. But we'll have our store, which will be. I paused you at a funny spot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. <laughs> there, there. That's better. <laughs> I feel like every time it stops, it's in a funny spot. I, I think if That's how it works. It just works that way. Don't feel bad. It just works that way. <laughs> I use my lips a lot. I'm always like. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's oh, just yeah. fine. Yeah, um, so 14 days left. Uh, you guys are at 220% of your goal, which is amazing. 426 yeah. people have backed you. It looks like you've got um, a few different perks here. Um, yeah, yeah. Like and, a, you know, what, one of the things that we can do is um, – is I can make secret perks. So if you, you know, if your listeners, I, I can make a secret perk just for Mike James uh, listeners that, you know, we can offer a little bit of a discount, which is, you know, one of the cool things about Indiegogo is they let you do that kind of thing. And, um, and so, um, yeah, so we have that going. And, but after that's done, um, if you go to bestforbees.com, that will be our, our Shopify store. And it'll still say coming, you know, pre-orders. Coming soon. Uh, okay. Because our, our first orders are going to be coming in in June. And uh, and and we're actually having to um, – Our right now we're producing in China for this first run because there was no way for us to actually get it to um, people for this beekeeping season if we went with uh, U.S company they're just they're just slower well and um, i mean if people were in you know manufacturing china does it so much less expensive at high quality and, and it is a way high and i'm not gonna say the u.s right. people aren't but it they know what they're doing right. it is a high they do. quality yeah right and uh in and fact there's an argument go ahead oh i was gonna say our our design engineer he's been to the plant twice that we're producing in. So he's gone, he's, he's checked it out. He's talked with those people. He has a really good relationship right. with them. And, uh, and that's important too. Right. Yeah. And I, and I honestly, I wouldn't apologize for that. I mean, it's almost impossible to avoid anything made in China. I mean, everything I'm probably communicating on right now, including my <laughs> Mac computer was made in China. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we, we would like to do it. You know, we, you know, we know, we know our customer base likes things made in America, particularly the U.S. Right. people. About 25% of our customers right now are from the United States. And, and that's the thing that, that people from the United States really like is, is made in America. Um, in Canada, we don't do that as much. So it's just a, a very, I, 
I know it's hard to imagine that, but like it's not a, a thing that um, that we do as much here, but but we understand that's what they want, and so right. we are looking for producers um, in the United States, and, uh, and 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 we would like to offer that. It's just, do people want to pay more for the product, and uh, and right. that's that's the offset. So we'll we'll see, right. and uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you could give me a link, um, I would be happy to uh, put a um, special hive time link for the Indiegogo campaign together. And I can uh, once again, I'll attach that to the show notes so listeners can click on that, take a look at the product, and uh, get a little bit of a discount. Yeah. So, I really appreciate your time today. Um, it was fascinating. And uh, <laughs> I really look forward to, to, um, the success of the product. I mean, it, it's, it's thinking outside the box, which is, I feel like this industry has been missing thinking out of the box for a long time on a mass scale. I mean, there are thinkers outside the box, but we're still keeping them in three quarter inch pine boxes, you know? Yeah. It just has not changed. And for so long, and this, like this whole, this is crazy revolutionary, your hyper hive, crazy revolutionary. And, and I think, you know, beekeeping, you know, is going to definitely change, right? So it'll it right. really need to to be on the cusp of that, right? Be on the cusp. Be on <laughs> the right, cusp. Right, right, yes. right. <laughs> right. Very good. Well, thank you so much for the time and um, I look forward to your success. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me as your first, first uh, guest. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. There was nothing left to say How to get up, walk away Knowing to hold them, knowing to fall Knowing to hold them, knowing to fall Cold sweat, blood in my eyes Thunder rolling through the skies I can feel it